0: Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show, I'm Michaela, and today we'll be bringing you an interview with Tillman Ruff from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons about the upcoming Nobel Peace Ride. That will be followed by an interview with Tony Scott from Kimber, one of the towns being considered for the Federal Radioactive Waste Dump. We'll follow that with a brief update on the process at the moment, as it's a tumultuous time in the campaign. First up, let's go to hear from Tilman Ruff.
1: Thanks very much, Michaela, and thanks for having me on the show. The Nobel Peace Ride is a is an exciting thing. I think it's um, it's almost three weeks. It's a it's a bike ride from Melbourne to Canberra, and it's time to arrive in Canberra for significant events. The visiting the um, Canberra Peace Bell and the Peace Park. There's a rally out the front of Parliament House with Indigenous test survivors and political leaders. There's a reception in Parliament House and the reason why we're trying to have such a strong presence in Canberra on that day is that it's the first anniversary of the opening for signature of the historic treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons which we really think provides the best path forward for all countries to fulfil their commitment to achieve a world free of nuclear weapons, which Australia has been resisting. So we really want decision-makers in Canberra to hear loud and clear that that, uh, that we want them to sign. There'll be a whole range of community events along the way. There'll be groups of people joining the riders at different points. There'll be public events in, in Benalla and in Albury and hopefully in Gundagai along the way. And it's also intended to share a kind of happy and important recognition but really a time to celebrate too for the first Nobel Peace Prize awarded to an Australian organisation ever. Um, So ICANN was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize last year for its work to promote awareness of the catastrophic consequences of any use of nuclear weapons and for its key role in partnership with governments to get this United Nations treaty negotiated and adopted. So because ICANN was founded in Australia, because it's a campaign coalition and includes many different partners and organisations in Australia, one of the purposes of the ride is to is to share the diploma and the medal um, that goes with the prize with, with people along the way.
0: Mm, yeah, that's lovely. How has the government responded to your Nobel Peace Prize win?
1: Well, fair, with fairly mean uh, spirit and small heart, I think, um... They have quite explicitly declined to congratulate ICANN. They have, via an anonymous sort of spokesperson, acknowledged ICANN's commitment to spreading awareness of the consequences of nuclear weapons, um, but have quite explicitly refused to congratulate us. Um, And unfortunately, the opposition leadership, too, has not been forthcoming. in um, congratulating ICANN. so while that's quite disappointing um, for really this very important international recognition that pays tribute to what people working together with you know with a vision and a plan on a on a hugely important and urgent global issue can achieve, um, at least we take comfort from the fact that this is not something they're ignoring, and clearly um, Australia's reluctance to sign the treaty it's its refusal to do so quite early when the treaty was adopted it's undermining an opposition to the process of achieving the treaty basically comes back to the policy that Australia has of of claiming protection from us nuclear weapons um, you know which in reality means that we assist uh, through facilities in Australia particularly at Pine Gap and Northwest Cape and Codgerina, um in military preparations for possible use of nuclear weapons in their targeting and and potential launch. Um, But also potentially there are circumstances where the Australian government is saying we would be willing for nuclear weapons to be used on our behalf. Um, That's a terrible thing, but it really means that we fundamentally have no real Consistency or integrity about working to abolish these last weapons of mass destruction to be prohibited, and the worst of all weapons because we claim to rely on them. So, so that's the fundamental problem. So at least we know that, um, ICANN's work matters. That you know they're on the defensive about this, um, and it's not something they they can ignore. The reception in Parliament House will be will be hosted by Andrew Wilkie, uh, who's independent. Um, Anthony Albanese, senior Labor figure, will be among those speaking outside um, Parliament House to welcome the riders. Um, We've had quite strong support within the Parliament from people in a wide variety of parties, the Greens, Labor, various of the crossbenchers and independents. Um, But of the Uh, More than 80 signatories we have to an ICANN parliamentary pledge which commits individual members of parliament that they will work for Australia to join the treaties. Thus far, we only have um, two members of of the coalition, both from Queensland, um, Ken O'Dowd and Warren Ench. Uh, We know that there are other coalition members that would want to see Australia sign the treaty but that have been reluctant to identify so publicly, while, while the coalition policy is, um, is not supporting of that, uh, but the sense we have is that there is, at present, relatively little opportunity, little sort of appetite for, um, for change to get Australia on the right side of history, so um, it's been rather difficult for us to engage with, with coalition, uh, with government members and with coalition parliamentarians
0: seems like it's really dangerous times that we're living in and obviously the continued existence of nuclear weapons and many of those that have them are upgrading their arsenals and i know the doomsday clock earlier this year was moved to 2 minutes to midnight and uh, the closest it's been since the cold war and I just feel like there there doesn't seem to be the same sense of urgency to disarm these nuclear arsenals maybe as there was back then. Is that the impression that you get? And if so, why do you think that is? And, yeah, obviously you're working really hard to, to change that, but,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, Michaela. I think we're really – there are two quite divergent trends going on in the world um, – if you look at it objectively, uh, the dangers of nuclear war actually happening are widely recognised as growing. Uh, you mentioned the bulletin of the Atomic Scientists Doomsday Clock. You know this is a very authoritative assessment there are 15 Nobel laureates on the board of sponsors of the bulletin Um, they've been doing this since 1947 it's the best regarded international assessment of sort of long-range how we're tracking against the major existential threats of nuclear weapons and climate disruption Uh, and the hands are as far forward now as they have ever been and we're hearing explicit nuclear threats uh, in a way that we really haven't seen since the worst days of the Cold War. Um, all of the nuclear armed states, as you mentioned, are not just not disarming. This is the first time in 30 years there are no disarmament talks actually underway or definitely planned. Um, but they're all modernizing, investing massive sums, more than hundred billion US dollars every year in modernizing those weapons with new capacities to make them more accurate and, inverted commas, more usable. We know that the dangers of cyber warfare are increasing. We know that the number of um, conflicts around the world um, is escalating as climate change starts to bite. And um, each of those that involves a nuclear-armed state, as many of them do, poses a risk of escalation. There's the constant risk of, um, of nuclear war by accident, by combination of human and technical error. So time is not on our side. But on the other hand, you know, most of the world is fed up with the failure of, of the nuclear armed states almost 50 years after the Non-Proliferation Treaty entered into force, which embodies a legally binding commitment on all states to achieve nuclear disarmament. That um, disarmament is not happening. They're intensely frustrated and they've, done, they've taken this really historic initiative um, of banning the worst of all weapons in a in an international treaty which is um, getting growing support. There are now 60 countries that have signed it and 14, I'm sorry, that have ratified it and we expect it to enter into force um, next year, which has fundamentally changed the game. And we've seen for the other kinds of indiscriminate, inhumane weapons, chemical and biological weapons, cluster munitions and landmines, that the achievement of a treaty that is embedded in international law, uh, a rejection of the weapons, and the same consistent standard for all countries that nobody should have these weapons, um, has been absolutely crucial uh, to gradually reducing and eliminating those weapons. And there's no reason to think that 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 won't happen with nuclear weapons. Um, We're seeing extraordinary opposition to this treaty from the nuclear armed states, Um, this treaty clearly matters, this is not some fine words from the United Nations that they can happily ignore, as they often do, Um, and we're already seeing many large financial institutions around the world, Um, the Norwegian Pension Fund, the world's largest um, sovereign wealth fund, the largest pension fund in Europe, ABP, Deutsche Bank. KBC, a large Belgian bank, a number of other institutions even before the treaty enters into force that can see that these weapons are now on the way to becoming prohibited and that are removing their investments um, in the companies that make them. So this treaty clearly matters. So mm. we're really in a race against time. You know, the, We face a very clear choice, really. It's either the end of nuclear weapons or the end of us. Um, Time is not on our side, and we all have a role to play uh, to make sure that that the answer to that question is the right one.
0: Well, if people want to join in on the ride, what's the best way for them to do that? Can well, they join the ride?
1: One, absolutely. Yeah. There's um, yes, the, the people can join the ride for for various bits of it. So you know, you don't have to commit to to riding very long distances over multiple days. You can just join the ride. When it's near you, um, it will depart from the steps of Parliament House in Melbourne on Sunday the 2nd of of September at 9.30am. There are events along the way, as I mentioned, in Benalla, in in Albury, um, hopefully in Gundagai, and then a big series of events in Canberra on the 20th of September. If you're able to come to any of those, please do. You can find information about all those on the website if you just look up Nobel peace ride you'll find it very easily you can sponsor the riders you can donate to the to the ride which would really help them make their presence really felt there's lots of things that you could do to to help this um, really become an important community celebration from Melbourne to Canberra
0: you're listening to the radioactive show broadcast nationally on the community radio network We just heard an interview with Nobel Laureate Tilman Ruff from ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. The Nobel Peace Ride will take the Nobel Peace Prize medal won by ICANN all the way from their birthplace in Naam, Melbourne, departing on Sunday 2nd of September, to Canberra arriving on 20th of September, the one-year anniversary of the UN Weapons Ban Treaty that they initiated, opening for signatures One significant missing ratification and signature is that of Australia and I can hope to work towards remedying that with the ride You can find more details about the Nobel Peace Ride at icanw.org forward slash au forward slash Nobel Peace Ride Next up we'll hear an interview with Tony Scott Secretary of of the group No Radioactive Waste on Agricultural Land in Kimba or South Australia.
2: I'm Tony Scott. I live in Kimba. For the last three years we have been having this debate in our community over whether a nuclear waste dump is the right future for our town. Um, I first found out about it three years ago when a neighbouring, site, so a farm just alongside of our farm was nominated to um, host the dump. Um, we were we were quite concerned very early on. Um, we did a whole heap of research and decided that we really didn't want this next to our farm, next to our family. Um, so we worked really hard to... Show the government that we didn't want it, and um, that site was actually removed from the selection process um, and then twelve months later um, another location was nominated in our community so we've again been yeah fighting the next proposal. Mm.
0: and do you know anything about how kimber got put back on the list of sites what that process was
2: um yeah within our community there was a group created called the working for kimber's future group they are some members from our community that are strongly supportive i guess you could say of a radioactive waste dump being built in kimber um so they have been working as a group and they come up with two families willing to nominate their land again. So one of the nominators is actually the same family that nominated the first time. Um, So, yeah, there's, there's now two sites up for consideration within the community.
0: And Minister Canavan has said the waste dump won't go ahead without broad community support. And obviously the community ballot is currently on hold, but what would that look like to you when you think about what broad, co- I think broad community? Yeah.
2: That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the question we've been asking the Minister is, what is broad? What is community? Because they're two very open-ended ended questions um, and currently we haven't been able to get any answers uh, as to what broad really is. To me, I believe that more people should be getting a say than just those that live within the Kimber District Council boundary. That is one of my really big concerns, uh, is the inclusiveness of the vote. So, uh, you know, there's people living just about 15 k's away from the site, but because they don't fall within the council boundary, they don't actually get a get a vote, which I just think is really wrong. There's people that have lived here their entire lives. Their kids go to school here. They play sport here. You know, they are born here. They do all their shopping here, but because they fall just outside of that council boundary, they also don't get a vote. Obviously, the vote is on hold at the moment um, because the Bungala people are inquiring about why they don't get a vote. Um, They actually have only recently in the last, I think it's 12 months, been awarded awarded native title rights over land around and within Kimber. Um, two of their sites that they have native title over are actually neighbouring both the sites that have been nominated. So the nomination at Lyndhurst, the Bengala people have no native title over Lake Gillies, which is alongside Lyndhurst. And um, then a Pandy site that's been nominated. The, the Bangala people have native title over the Pink Willini Reserve that's there. So um, there are a lot of issues for the the minister to have to decide what is broad and what is community. And I guess that's something that's still really unclear within the process.
0: And it seems like this lack of clarity about... The detail is one of the big concerns that simply hasn't been addressed throughout this whole process. I know in the report from the Senate inquiry came up as as a big issue. How has your feeling been about that? Well,
2: me personally, I've always thought that the Minister should set a percentage on the vote. So it's going to have a vote you want to know what percentage he classifies as broad community support prior to going into a vote. Sort of, it's like going into any game. You want to know the the rules before it, before you play, I suppose. So, one thing that the minister has continually said, you know, it's more than just a vote um, that I take in, that he takes into consideration when he decides what broad is. But I believe we shouldn't even be going to a vote if all the boxes haven't been ticked prior to getting there. So so if he if he thinks he needs neighbour support then that box should be ticked before you go to a vote. If you need indigenous support then that box should be ticked before going to a vote. So so that when you go to a vote you then know, well now I need and he needs to put a percentage on that, whether that be, you know, seventy percent or eighty percent, whatever the percentage needs to be then set prior to going to a vote. So he would still have the broad support required from the other areas as well as the certain percentage required to go through. We shouldn't even be voting if he hasn't got all those things in place.
0: And have you had a chance to meet with the Minister? Has he been to visit Kimber? And if so, what have your impressions been about those interactions?
2: Uh, the minister has been to Kimber on, I think it's three occasions. I myself have met with him in Canberra. Um, me and a group of people um, paid our own way to get to Canberra to meet with him right back just before he put the next two Kimber sites on the short list. So we met with him just prior to doing that. Um... And then, yes, I met with him once when he came to Kimber. Unfortunately, the other two times he's been in Kimber, uh, we had very short notice that he was coming and I wasn't able to be in town. I was away on both occasions. We've still got a lot of unanswered questions. Um, So we don't have answers about what are the transport routes, who is the operator of the facility, how long will the proposed jobs exist. Um, Then there's all sorts of, issues and concerns around the intermediate level waste. Of course, they're saying that would only be temporary stored um, at the national facility as it needs to be buried deep underground for it to be world's best practice. So they'd be moving it from one temporary store to another. Um, If our doesn't actually approve to license another temporary store, then what happens, how many jobs will there be Will this affect the Community Contribution Fund? How is the Community Contribution Fund being administered to the community? We still have no idea about that. Um, There's a lot of queries and questions around how we'll be compensated if we do suffer reputational impacts.
0: And engaging in that Senate inquiry, what was that experience like?
2: Um, Look, I think... Like much of the experience over the last three years, we've had to do do things and participate in things that we wouldn't necessarily ever thought we would have to do. <laughs> it's all quite daunting, um, exhausting, overwhelming, but yeah, we, we have to engage in the consultation process and um, within things like the Senate inquiry or else our voices won't be heard.
0: Yeah. Were there other things in particular that you would like to raise or you'd like to um, share with listeners? Yeah,
2: one of, I guess one of our big concerns has always been that only 4% of South Australia is a productive farming land. So we just don't believe that Kimber, in the middle of a prime agricultural area, is the right place to build a facility like this. As um, the agricultural industry generates more income for Kimber in one year than the nuclear waste dump will in a lifetime. So I guess we're just asking the government, why would we take that risk with our long-term future and our reputation of our region? Um, and why should a town of 800 people be the decision makers for the location of the entire nation's radioactive waste and without all the necessary information to do so. It just doesn't feel right to me.
0: Yeah, I know one of the things that Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Campaign and many other groups that we work with have been pushing for for over 20 years working on the national nuclear waste dump issue is having... An independent inquiry that sort of develops a really thorough process into how that kind of thing would happen.
2: Yeah, well, I guess this is all a bit more new to someone like me who's only been involved for three years, but I could definitely see over this time that there's so many flaws in the process that they're trying to use. We're continually hearing that it's a volunteer process, but it's actually only a volunteer process for the one person that nominates their land. So, you know, as a community, we have been thrown into this conversation, like they call it, um, without volunteering. I certainly don't feel like I have volunteered to give up as much time um, of my life as I have the last three years and the way this has impacted um, me and my family in that time. Certainly, I would never have volunteered my time for that. But yeah, I think they do they do need to sit down, um, members of the government and members of our Australian community that know a lot more about this waste than what I do or ever will know. They do need to come up with a responsible solution a long-term solution, not just another temporary solution, which is really all they're going to be doing. So, you know, they're talking about moving waste 1,700 kilometres across the country from one temporary store to another. It just does not make sense to be even considering double handling or, or more temporary storage when we all know that eventually the intermediate-level waste will need to be stored
0: the safest way to underground. That was Tony Scott, Secretary of the No Radioactive Waste on Agricultural Land in Kimber or South Australia. The communities of Kimber and the Flinders Ranges were being asked by the federal government to participate in a ballot to gauge community sentiment about the proposed waste dump in their area. As Tony Scott mentioned, eligibility to vote was severely restricted. In Kimba, only people who lived in the Kimba District Council area were eligible, and in the Flinders, people who lived in the Flinders Ranges Council area or within 50 kilometres of the Wallabadina site were eligible to vote. While non-resident ratepayers were also able to vote, traditional owners who lived outside the area were not. The postal ballot was due to commence on Monday 20th of August, but three days prior to this, the Bangala people... Native title holders for the Kimber area were granted an injunction in the Supreme Court of South Australia. This effectively put the ballots in both areas on hold. They are asking for all traditional owners of the area to be allowed to vote. The matter was heard in the court the following Thursday and was referred to the Human Rights Commission for an urgent conciliation and to see if the rules of the ballot breach the Racial Discrimination Act. Neither ballot can commence until this has been sorted out. This has put a spanner in the works for Federal Minister Matt Canavan, who wanted to select a site in October and no doubt wants to avoid the selection of a site for Australia's radioactive waste becoming an election issue. Once a site is selected, there's still a long way to go. As nuclear issues trigger the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, it would need to go through an approvals process with the Federal Environment Department. There will also be two licensing process with ARPANSA, Australia's nuclear Regulator. The low and intermediate level waste will need two different licenses and ARPANSA will run a consultation process if and when the project gets to the licensing stage. But in the meantime, there's plenty that you can do. The Department of Industry, Innovation and Science is taking submissions until the 24th of September. So you can write your own or you can use a quick and easy online submission system that's available at conservationsa.org.au forward slash ballot. Friends of the Earth's Nuclear Free Campaign has a process, not postcode letter to Minister Matt Canavan and Shadow Minister Kim Carr calling for an end to the South Australia dump plans and for the government to initiate a comprehensive, independent inquiry to address all options for the responsible long-term management of Australia's nuclear waste. And you can find that at foe.org.au forward slash waste. We'll post links to all these on our Facebook page, The Radioactive Show, And if you'd like to get in contact, you can also email us on radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to The Radioactive Show. You can download the podcast of this program and previous shows at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. Thanks so much to Tilman Ruff from ICANN and Tony Scott from Kimber for their insights and interviews on today's show. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studios of 3CR on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Fitzroy, Victoria. It's broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. The program is produced with the generous support of Friends of the Earth Melbourne's ACE nuclear-free campaign. Music on today's show was The Beastie Boys Multilateral Nuclear Disarmament. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.